It's so lovely to be able to come and speak to you today. My name is Sarah. I'm part of the team here at St. Nick's. And I'm married to Rich. We have two cats. Um, we live uh, just south of the river. We live here for about four years in Bristol. And um, yeah, and we're expecting a baby in November. And that's kind of, oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I need a cheer. Um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of me. And a uh, huge welcome if you're joining online or on Catch Up or you're here in the building. It's so cool to be able to speak to you today. I'm going to be finishing off our series that we've been doing called Character matters, looking at the character of God. So far, we've looked at the fact that God is compassionate, that he's gracious, that he's slow to anger, and tonight I'm going to talk about him being abounding in love or loyal in love to us. And uh, I wanted to kick off by chatting to you about something that happened to me a few weeks ago. I went to a family reunion. Oh, yeah. Uh, I hadn't seen my dad's side of the family for about four years, actually. Um, so I was quite nervous, I would say. Um, and we'd had to travel quite a long way. We were going to somewhere called Moores Valley Country Park. It's very lovely. It was in July, so it's beautiful and hot. Rich and I had driven down. It us about an hour and a half to get there. And so we are walking around this. It's a big park. And so we're looking for everybody. My uncle flags me down, and we're kind of heading towards a family reunion. We're about to see everybody um, for the first time in four years. And just to give you context, I've got quite a big family on my dad's side. I've got so many cousins that kind of don't know all their names, that, that sort of vibe. So we're about to walk in. I'm an introvert, so large groups of people, introductions, distance for four years, not the one. We're about to turn the corner, and like a baby giraffe, I just fall over fall over and I'm walking on this gravel path, this really thick gravel path and I'm wearing shorts because it's hot and I end up on my hands and my knees and this is not the one. I almost give my uncle who's 70 a heart attack and my husband Rich is freaking out because I'm like 28 weeks pregnant or whatever, not the one. And like a typical Brit, I decide the best way to handle this situation is to just assess it later and to go with the fact that I'm sure everything's fine. So I jump to my feet and I'm like, everything's fine. Let's go. I'm great. Nothing's wrong here. And I get my tote bag off my shoulder, put them in front of my knees, and I decided that I will look at the damage a bit later. So we head around the corner. I mean, they didn't see me fall. I guess there's some perk. So we head around the corner. We go in, and we're doing the rounds, and I'm meeting everybody, seeing all my cousins. We're trying to remember their names. Um, I haven't seen them in four years. Some of them have had children I've never met. It's going well. It's going well. And then one of my cousins turns to me, and she says, what have you done to your knees? And I look down. <laughs> And there's blood streaming down my legs. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> Ground swallow me up. And so there's chats about a first aid kit and a midwife. And I'm like, I, I have to get out of here right now. So back away. I'm like, oh, it's fine. I was just going to handle this later. I knew all about it. I might just pop to first aid and get a little plaster, and then I'll be back in just a moment. And I am out of there. And so finally, info point, and they call in a first aider, you know, like it's all kicking off. And I sit there, and 
Yes, my hands and my feet really, really hurt. But what stung was the shame. I felt so ashamed and so embarrassed for falling over. And it just had to happen at a family reunion that I was really nervous about. It was the shame that, uh, it was the shame that made me cry. And it was the shame that made me want to give up and just go back home. Now, that's a really, really trivial example of shame. And there have been times when I felt shame not because of accidents, but because of intention, because of things I've done wrong that have been far deeper. But it got me thinking about the hold of shame on our lives and what we allow it to have over us. And I think as we look back over the last few years of the pandemic, one thing that I've seen and I know to be true is that isolation is a breeding ground for a lack of perspective, for selfishness, and as a result, for shame. We are not who we were three years ago. And although there has been change for good, for many of us, I think we're living with a sense of shame in how we've coped with the last three years. So today, as I mentioned, I'm carrying on our series, finishing off looking at this verse in Exodus where God first describes his character. It says, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. And we're going to focus on that last bit, maintaining love or loyal in love. And before we get carried away and go any further, I think it's really helpful to try and understand what's being said here. This is an English translation. It's not the original language it was written in, and it just doesn't do it justice. Um, so maintaining love is this word in the Hebrew, chesed, or cresshead, with a bit of a ch. Um, and it describes three parts of God's character. Chesed is the promise-keeping, loyalty, motivated by deep personal care. It's a promise-keeping, loyalty, motivated by deep personal care. And I think a really great example of this, God's character in action, this chesed, is found in the story of Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman at a well. So we're going to read that. Um, so if you want to head to John 4, verses 4 to 30 in your Bibles, if you brought one, or if you don't have one, um, maybe grab a phone, or you can follow on the screens. We're going to go into it a few times. So it's actually, I promise, genuinely worth looking up. Um, yeah, so if you want to grab that, and I will read it along. <clears throat> now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw water with from the well, and the well is deep. Where can I get this living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now has come where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back into the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. So, let's dig into this passage and see what it shows us about God's character. So Jesus is traveling through Samaria, and he comes to a well at noon, and then he meets a woman drawing water, and Jesus speaks to her. And this is groundbreaking for a few reasons. First of all, Jews and Samaritans absolutely hate each other. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan, that good old parable? Yeah, they're not fans. They're talking about this. Therefore, Jews never, ever travel through Samaria. The whole thing's controversial. And then Jews, therefore, never speak to Samaritans in public. And finally, culturally, Jewish men never spoke to any women at all in public. So you can see there's a lot going on here. It's quite unexpected that this conversation is taking place. But Jesus is at this well. And in verse 7, we see what they have to say. It says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Now, this conversation is really profound. We know that the disciples have gone into town to buy food. And so Jesus and this woman are completely alone. And for the woman in this story, everything about this encounter would have been so taboo and felt so wrong to her. There's a lot at stake for her. 
It would have been understandable for her to stop and walk away from this essential task because she was afraid of being robbed or attacked or at very minimum having more gossip created about her. But she stays and she enters into a conversation with Jesus. Why? We don't know. But from my experience, I know that there is something beautiful and profound about the, the presence of Jesus. And although he's a complete stranger to her, there's something about him that draws her in and makes her feel safe. Why is this woman in this situation in the first place, though? Why is she alone at the well? Well, when we look a bit more into the context, John reveals some more of the backstory. So drawing water. Drawing water was a communal activity. It was a key kind of part of the day for the whole community. It would have been done together, and it would have been done in the coolest part of the day and not at midday. So the fact that this encounter happens with the woman on her own and at midday shows us that she has been ostracized from her community. She is living with the shame of rejection. And this is the moment where Jesus meets her. Jesus chooses to meet this woman in her shame. God is loyal to us when others reject us. But what does this loyal love look like? Well, in this encounter, Jesus straight away shows her dignity. He enters into a conversation with her. He asks her to show him hospitality by the drawing of water. There's no like, sense that she needs to qualify somehow to be able to speak with Jesus because God is loyal to us when others reject us. Jesus radically looks past her evident brokenness and in doing so creates a situation where the hold of shame over this woman's life can be broken. Rejection calls out the shame in our lives, but God is loyal to us when others reject us. God chooses to meet us in our shame and his loyal love will always see us for who we are, not what we have done. Perhaps you are here today and you are living with the shame of rejection. One of the most painful things I think we can experience is to be told that we don't belong. Maybe you've been rejected by friends, by colleagues, or even your family. The good news is that God is loyal to us when others reject us, and we don't have to live with the shame of rejection in our lives. So, the conversation continues. We see then that Jesus reveals some knowledge from the Father about this woman's situation. He shares a prophetic insight into her relationships and her marriage. We're going to verse 16, and it says this. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Now, why does this part of the conversation take place? I don't think that Jesus is asking her about her relationship status to make her feel embarrassed, but instead to show her that she is known by the Father. Her vulnerable situation does not disqualify her from his care. And it's really interesting that they meet at a well. In the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, wells are often a place of a romantic encounter. Isaac and Rebecca met at a well, ended up married. 
it's like Old Testament Tinder. Hang around long enough, you might meet the one. So it's interesting because this adds a whole different layer of depth to the situation. Jesus is not only meeting her at midday, but he's meeting her at a well, a situation that embodies the cause of her exclusion from her community, her relationships. For this woman, relationships have likely been an idol in her life, a place that she's gone to for affirmation and to feel loved. She's used relationships to try and quench a deep inner thirst for love. But she has also experienced the vulnerability of multiple broken relationships and promises. When we experience the breakdown of a relationship, we are incredibly vulnerable Broken promises from, from friends, from spouses, from bosses, they're deep wounds, and they make us question our worth and our identity. We ask if we can ever trust anyone ever again, and sometimes we put up walls around our hearts. By meeting this woman at a well, Jesus offers her a revelation of what she truly needs. Jesus shows her that God's love is promise-keeping, and she won't be left brokenhearted. Perhaps relationships have become an idol in your life. Perhaps you move from one relationship to the next to feel worth. Perhaps you've allowed your relationship status to define who you are. Perhaps your spouse has become your source of joy. Or maybe you feel shame at the breakdown of a relationship and have hardened your heart. When we feel the shame of a broken relationship, of broken promises, we can know that God's love is promise-keeping. He not only will never let us down, but will satisfy the deep longings of our hearts to be truly known and unconditionally loved. Jesus meets this woman in the vulnerability and instability of her situation to redeem her pain. And he does the same for us. God's love is promise-keeping. So we've looked at two parts of this chesed love, that God is loyal when others reject us and that God's love is promise-keeping. And let's look at the final part, the deep care of the Father. So Jesus has met this woman at a well, they've had a conversation, and now he's offered her living water. And then in verse 28, it says this, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. In response to the conversation with Jesus, the woman drops her jug. Why? I don't think it's because Jesus revealed her past to her, but because she's encountered the Messiah. Just like the Jews, the Samaritans were also waiting for their Messiah, God's promised Savior, the one who would make things right. This woman has been isolated, and Jesus has shown her that she is known and deeply cared for. When we are isolated or lonely, I know that the lie I hear in my head is that nobody cares. But meeting with Jesus breaks those lies. She realizes she is deeply cared for without condition. So she drops her jug. It's like a throwback to that moment when the disciples drop their nets and choose to follow Jesus. 
This woman drops her old way of living. She drops how she used to quench her thirst. She drops the hold of shame on her life and chooses to no longer live in isolation, but to follow Jesus. And I've so often found that when we are called to follow, when we're called to follow Jesus, we have to let go of things that give us security and trust. When Rich and I moved to Bristol four years ago to be part of this church plant here, we had to give up living by the sea and a home and a community that we loved. And it wasn't easy. But we have seen God's remarkable care for us in the last four years. He provided us somewhere to live when our house wouldn't complete complete, and actually turned out to be an amazing family to us. We've got an incredible group of friends and a beautiful community on our doorstep. Our fear was that following the call of God would mean that we were isolated. But actually, what we have found is the opposite. When we follow God and step out, his character remains deeply caring for us. And then finally, in verse 39, this is a bit further on from what we read, but I didn't think we could read like 40 verses. Uh, That would have been too much. (laughs) Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of this woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two more days. And because of his words, many more became believers. An encounter with the love of God that is loyal and caring and promise-keeping has transformed this woman. She no longer is allowing shame to make her feel rejected, vulnerable, or isolated. One encounter with Jesus, just a simple conversation, nothing wacky happened, led her to receive something she just can't keep to herself. Her immediate response is to go and share what she's found with the very community that heaped shame upon her. And the testimony of this woman's encounter with the love of God transforms the lives of so many. And isn't that what we long for? Not only do we want to see the hold of shame on our lives broken, but in the lives of our friends and our family and the people in the city. And that's why it matters that we deal with shame and rejection, our isolation that we are in. We allow ourselves to encounter the loyal, promise-keeping and caring love of God because it won't just change our lives, it will change the lives of our city. So perhaps today, you have felt the shame of rejection. You can know that God is loyal in love. Maybe shame has left you vulnerable and unable to love others. You can know today that God's love is promise-keeping. Or perhaps shame has left you isolated. You can trust that you are known and deeply cared for by God. And finally, you don't have to live with the hold of shame on your life. Yes, you may have some scars. I've got a great one on my knee that's still healing up from that fall. It's going to be there forever. But you can live in freedom from shame. And if you're bold enough to do that, if you're bold enough to say enough is enough, then you not only can be free, but so can our city. Shall we pray? Father, I thank you so much for this story of you meeting this woman. I wish we knew her name. I thank you for her story and for what it shows us about your love for us, your character. 
I thank you that you are generous to us. I thank you that you don't ask us to do anything to get rid of this shame, but simply meet with you and let go. And I pray for anybody here today who feels rejected, isolated, or vulnerable. Father, I pray that you would break the hold of shame over our lives, whatever that looks like. I pray that we would have the courage to say, that's me, and I don't want to live like this anymore. And I pray that in your kindness you would meet us, not just for us, but for our city. We pray that our city would be free from shame, that it would be a city of hope, that we would not be defined by what we have done, but by who you say we are. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.